So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It's awesome to have you with me today. I want to talk about something that I think will be very relevant and interesting to many of you, which is how do you go about protecting and growing your wealth while most investors are freaking out? Now, there is a very normal cycle of human emotions that goes along with the ups and downs of the market. In fact, you could almost argue that it is what drives the market itself. So, if you think about, um, and there's some fantastic kind of like vectors and diagrams that really articulate this, but the one I found most entertaining was a series of stick figures that sit along a cycle that, you know, range from optimism, then you go up to excitement, then thrill, then euphoria. Then as you kind of tip over the top, suddenly become anxious, you become kind of dismal, you become fearful, you become desperate, then there's panic, and then it's all the way down to despondency, depression on the way up. And then, you know, as you reach the top again, you go into optimism again. So it's a super, super funny um, diagram. But the point I'm trying to make is that we kind of intellectually understand that that's what happens in markets, but our actions and our thinking as real life investors with real life money is not at all congruent with that. So, what I mean when I say that is it's really easy to become susceptible to marketing, media, sentiment, um, what the government is reporting in order to shape our investment decisions. And that's not to say you don't want to take that into consideration. But the most challenging aspect of, you know, surviving and thriving in any market downturn or any market where there's a high level of volatility is your capacity to look at it, step away from it, and then make more measured decisions. So the thing that's, you know, happening in the market right now is that we are seeing great properties that 12 months ago would have been snapped up in minutes flat, that people would have been clawing and, you know, ripping shreds off each other in order to get their hands on and now just sitting there on the market because either number one, people can't get the finance, even though they think the house is awesome. Or number two, people are sitting on cash because they're fearful. Or number three, and this is certainly something that I've heard from another number of my trusted advisors, is we haven't yet experienced the point in the market where there's enough anxiety that sellers are ready to capitulate and start really massively discounting the price of assets. So, you know, we're in this kind of heady cocktail of where are we and what will happen next? Now, there's a lot of things that you can be doing as investors if you really want to separate yourself and find yourself in a position where you can really take advantage of what will come over the next six to 12 months. And the reason I say this is that there is no question, if you look back at past markets, market cycles, there are no question a small proportion of very savvy 
left of field thinking investors who have built their fortunes while other people have just simply panicked or stuck their head in the sand. So that is the context for what I want to cover today. Now, there are, in my opinion, five things that you can be doing if you really want to set yourself apart. So the first thing is be fundamentally aware of where we are in the environmental and cyclical market. Now, as I've already said already, I think, you know, we're probably past anxious and heading into a bit of fear and, you know, we're not quite in panic yet, but we're definitely on that downward trajectory. Now, the problem with uh, the current economic environment is there are conflicting signals. So, on one hand, you've got all of these signals and, and economic metrics saying that business is booming profits have never been higher, businesses are doing really well. And then on the other side, you've got consumers who are, you know, carrying the burden of higher inflation, costs of goods and services have gone through the roof, energy prices have gone through the roof, interest rates are becoming increasingly burdensome. So you've got these conflicting things that are happening. And then on top of that, you've got unemployment being at an all-time low the demand for jobs being um, higher than ever and a whole lot of people that have suddenly got all this choice about where they work and how they work. And all of that is compounding and creating um, fractures in what would otherwise be a very plain sailing environment. So, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out over the next, let's call it six to 12 months. But in the meantime, it's really important just to be aware that those things are going on. And certainly, you know, I'm just giving you kind of like the highlights that you go and, you know, read about what is happening so that you can understand what's happening in the environment. Now, that is not to say that you get swept away or get totally panicky about what is happening. It simply means that you have context and context is really important. Now, from my own point of view, and I want to make this as practical as possible, I am eagerly anticipating some epic investment opportunities in the second half of 2023. And the reason for that is, as I said before, I think there's definitely a little bit of fear in the market. I think the governments are doing the best that they can to try and take the heat out of the inflationary rate. But I don't yet think that sellers are, you know, rolling over and just, you know, agreeing to sell assets at a discount. Now, that's not to say that I don't feel for people who are genuinely struggling. I'm purely talking about from an investing point of view, if you want to, you know, look for some great opportunities, this year could certainly present some second half of the year. The second thing I think you really need to do if you want to protect and grow your wealth is audit for vulnerabilities. Now, depending on what your situation is and where you are um, in terms of your journey to creating wealth, it can mean different things. But even if I say audit for vulnerabilities, This is a common sense exercise. Do you have enough cash reserves? Are you over leveraged? Are you coping with your interest repayments? You know, even if your asset prices were to decline, there's no need to die in a ditch over it. That in itself is not a vulnerability. It's everything around keeping that asset place in place. That is what creates vulnerabilities. If you find yourself in a situation where you are forced to sell because maybe you've stretched yourself too thin, then again, that is cause for concern. 
I would also say from an audit perspective, you should be thinking about, you know, vulnerabilities in terms of the stability of your wealth, um, your capacity to kind of tweak and generate more cash flow if you want to. And the reality is that most investors are holding assets that have been amazing for developing capital growth in a rising market. But suddenly, now that the market isn't kind of going north at 100 miles an hour, then finding themselves in a bit of pain because either those assets are costing money to hold and they're looking around and they simply don't know where else to put their money. The best example of this is a couple that recently joined our community who were in exactly that situation. They had a pool of assets that they had been fairly aggressively accumulating and now they've found themselves in a situation where they've got to earn quite a substantial amount of money before they can actually put food on the table. And that leaves them feeling particularly vulnerable looking down the barrel of a market right now that's unlikely to grow massively over the next let's call it one to two years. So, this audit for vulnerabilities is the second piece and it's really important that you kind of look across your assets and look for the chinks in your armor. Where have you got vulnerabilities and what can you do while the going is good to alleviate some of that pressure. The third thing I think everyone needs to be thinking about if they really want to flourish while others are floundering is redefine the concept of enough. Now, you may have heard me talk in past podcasts about identifying what are your baseline needs. Now, if you are someone who has really lofty goals, and there's nothing wrong with lofty goals, but I like to distinguish between baseline goals and then, you know, if you call them stretch goals or aspirational goals. Now, the minute you identify enough, what automatically has to happen behind that is you stop thinking thinking about putting capital and money and time and energy into accumulating assets that risk the whole. Once you've defined enough, anything after that becomes cream. So, if you haven't done the exercise recently, please go ahead and do it. I had a client a few years ago who I'm not working with anymore who had a goal of, you know, getting to some insane and I'll say insane because it was a multiple million dollar passive income each year. Now, what made this particular goal insane from my perspective was the fact that this character lived off significantly less than that. So, he was saying in one breath, I need a passive income of between two to whatever, two, two and a half million dollars, his actual needs were significantly below a million dollars. So, the point that, you know, we tried to work through with him is let's try and hit your baseline needs as your primary goal. Then we can follow, figure out whether the second one is even necessary. I think one of the things that gets in the way of a lot of people's potential growth progress is really just aspiring to insane goals. You know, the best example of seeing this in real life is contrasting the FIRE community, which is the financial independence, retire early, minimalist, frugal culture cohort that's coming out of the millennials and Gen Zs and, you know, who are saying, who redefining what it is that is enough. Now, in many cases, they're talking about trying to live off, you know, somewhere between thirty to $50,000. And look, if you can do that power to you. But what I admire the most about those guys is they are defining 
what do I need to have it be effectively game over? Because the minute that you have a secondary income that basically covers all of your basic needs, even if you're actually earning way more than that, you'll kind of have that peace of mind, that sleep at night factor that everything will be all right. And there is no compromise. There is no, you know, there's no substitute for that, I should say. Number four, now more than any other time, it's really important to upgrade your investing rules. You know, I think there are a lot of people who invest because of emotion, something seems like a good idea, or even if they're quite good investors, they may have an intuitive sense of what they should and shouldn't be doing. Now, what happens during times of high volatility and uncertainty is emotion from a negative space tends to play a greater part. We start to second guess ourselves. We start to bend rules. And suddenly we find ourselves in a situation where potentially we make commitments that we really shouldn't be making or that we're not comfortable making. So, this idea of investing rules, and I've, I've really labored this point in many, many other podcasts is really important. But what I'm suggesting you do right now is upgrade those rules. So, for example, one of the things that I think is really important is use of debt and use of leverage. So, if you are investing in a deal with a high degree of leverage where cash flow is very compressed and you're still looking down the barrel of rising interest rates, I would be very nervous about that. The fifth and final piece is narrowing your strategy focus. So, I think the reality is when we're in a a bull market uh, where everything's going gangbusters, it's very easy to kind of get this false sense of that you can do no wrong, that you're a great investor. But right now, there are many strategies that are failing. Yeah, right now, there are strategies that were working beautifully that are suddenly no longer lucrative or carry a significant amount of risk. Flipping of any kind of real estate, even your buy and holds, if you're hoping to make gains in the next two years, looking more and more dicey. Developments have become more dicey because of the kind of rising interest rate costs as well as the you know the supply of materials and shortage of labor there's all sorts of risks going on in a lot of different strategies and what i would say to you is that you want to really start almost ranking strategies and when i say that focus on you know diversification first exposure to bank finance think about your experience because all of those things will have a driving impact on whether uh, an asset will carry you or potentially worst case scenario sink you i think um many people and i've spoken to lots of people about this in the past have really become very excited about the concept of commercial real estate and don't get me wrong i love commercial real estate but you have to be careful you know you have to be careful that you understand the asset class, that you understand what is happening in the environment around the costs, the lending and the borrowing costs, that you understand the risks associated with tenancy renewals and leases and things like that. Just because you have a tenant in place and you might be, let's come up with a, an example, $20,000 a year positive cash flow. Woohoo, that sounds awesome. But you know, if the market sneezes and suddenly your borrowing costs ratchet up, that $20,000 could disappear in a flash or worse has been the case for some of my clients in the past. Business becomes too difficult and the business declares bankruptcy. And then suddenly you're left with this huge, big, fat, lazy panda that you cannot put another tenant in. So, it's really, really important to remind yourself that right now you want to be very deep and narrow on what you do do if you are looking to be successful in the short term. Now, if you are playing the long game, 
then certainly if you want to acquire assets at a discount or even at a reasonable rate and you plan to hold them for the next 20, 30 years, then that is a different scenario. But if you're looking at how do I get to a an outcome that delivers me some kind of financial independence in the medium term, so three to five year mark, then what you do right now with your money matters greatly. So guys, I think I want to leave it there. I hope this has been really useful. I look forward to catching up with you next time and continuing to pull apart topics that you guys are saying that you want to hear more about. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.